Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I just echo everything that Lauren and Gail were talking about here. I, I say it this way, that I think every Christian needs to have a passport um, because God's already commanded you to go. And, uh, and so you just always need to be ready. And so get your passports up and ready and I'll make sure they're always updated so that you can go whenever God tells you to go. And so many things happens when we go and you're overseas and you see life in the world and what God's doing in a worldwide perspective, not just an American perspective. All right, get your Bibles out. Um, we've been doing this series here. And I was thinking this past week, I've been a, a, around here long enough that I've seen some bumper stickers around here. And, and one of the bumper stickers I've noticed is this one that says, be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. Have you seen that one around? Well, now that I've lived here long enough and have to drive 71 all the time, I think I, I want to introduce a new bumper sticker that's going to go on my car. And I want my new bumper sticker to say this, I'm trying to be patient but God is taking an awfully long time with you. <laughs> and I want mine to be a neon light that flashes as I'm driving on, 70, on 71 here. The reality is that we are all in process. Uh, we are all in process when it comes to our spiritual lives. The vision that we have here at One Chapel is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's our vision statement as a church. And when you think about that vision statement, it's a process. It's all about a process because for some of you, you're in the process of discovering a real relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you're here to investigate this. You're still trying to figure this whole thing out. And so you're here to learn about what the Bible actually says. And you're, you're here to watch the Christian faith embodied as we gather together in community and worship and, and service. And, and so this is a process that you're going through. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that you're here and and that you're allowing us to be a part of this process with you. Others of you, you've already discovered that real relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're now in this process of growing into full devotion to Jesus Christ. And this is a continual thing. I think everything one of us need to understand is that you never arrive. <laughs> it's not like we all of a sudden we get everything that we need and we learn everything you learn and then you can't learn anything more. You can't grow anymore. Now, Paul actually says we grow from glory to glory to glory to glory. This is a continual thing. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God's still going to be working in you and doing things inside of you. And when we are in this process of, full, of growing in our full devotion with Jesus Christ, some of you are moving quickly along this process. And I tend to think it, that's specifically true. Those, those, when you make a decision to follow after Jesus, those initial years after that, there's, there's fast growth that happens because now the Holy Spirit has come into your life and now all of a sudden your habits and your attitudes are changing and he puts his finger on how you handle your finances and your relationships. And so you're seeing all these things happen very quickly inside of you and it's because now you're experiencing the transformation of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But some of you, it feels like you're going a little bit more slowly in your spiritual growth. And I tend to relate that to kind of even our physical development. The older we get, where our physical development kind of tapers off there a little bit. And your, and your spiritual life can seem to slow down as well. And it, it, it's not that it's actually stopping or that it's actually slowing down. It's just that you're not as aware of the changes that's happening inside of you. But it feels like it's slowing down. But regardless of whether it's quick or slow, you're still, there's still movement happening as God's taking you into more and more full devotion to Jesus Christ. 
But I do think there are times where it feels like your spiritual growth has stopped. In other words, you're looking, you, can't, you don't feel as close to God, and you try to read your Bible, and just kind of, you just kind of feel stuck with it, and you don't feel like you're really seeing God transform your habits and, and your attitudes, and you're wondering if things will really change in, in your life. And so it feels like you've stalled in your relationship with God. And when that happens, it's easy to start thinking that God has given up on you. Any of you experienced that before? Where you feel like you're just out there, you can't feel what God is doing, and just feels like things have stalled, and God, where are you? In the midst of all of those, those, those days can be really dark and really heavy and, and bleak, and it goes from disillusionment to being despondent to really having hopelessness inside of you. For me, um, this happened when I was a junior in college. And up to that point, I come from a, a really great Christian family. I have a long um, legacy of Christian, Christianity in, in, my, in, my, in my family. And so I have this to, to build upon. And I, and I want to encourage your parents, this is why you push and, and you really try to move things forward for your family. Because I always think that the, the peaks in your life that you're able to um, move forward in your spiritual life are then become the valleys that your kids are able to move from. And that's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it, parents and grandparents to keep pushing because your grandkids and your, and your kids are going to experience the benefit of when it, you do that. And for me, that's what was going on. I mean, I felt I can look back and think my life was just so incredibly blessed. Not because of anything I did. I was just receiving the, the benefit of a, a godly legacy. And it just seemed like everything I would do would be very successful. But in my junior year, my grandfather died. And it really impacted me, and I was in his room when, when, when he passed, and, and being there in that, in that present, I was the only grandson, and it just really impacted me, and it, it started, this whole downward spiral was going on inside of me, and, and I, I remember you know, trying to, trying to figure out what was, what was going on in all of this, and all of a sudden, I started having all these conflicts in my relationship and my own personal struggles. And my life just had this downward spiral, and I started slowly, slowly and surely moving away from God. And I finally got to this point of getting so low that I was convinced that God had given up on me. This is what I wrote in my journal. I'm not necessarily a, a journaler, but I tend to write um, these kind of landmark times that are going on in my life. And this is what I wrote in October 1989. Um, I said, somehow, it seems that just when everything tends to be going perfectly, or at least you would describe your life as being sunny, the sky begins to darken, the wind begins to blow, and soon you find yourself soaked from an unexpected thunderstorm. What once was a life of bright blue skies, gentle breezes, and melodious birds has now become a gray, bleak, windy, thunderous downpour that consumes your emotions, logic, physical stamina, and spiritual well-being. In nature, we excuse these unexpected thunderstorms as part of life, although they may be a rude interruption in our plans. But even if that be the case, we postpone or cancel our plans, which may cause us to be sad or even mad. Yet, in either case, we soon get over our emotional frenzy and forget that the interruption even took place. However, those thunderstorms that intrude into our daily emotional lives are not as easy to excuse. The mark that they leave behind can cause great pain and scar a person for life. That is exactly how I feel. 
Although most people would say my life has been blessed, I don't feel that way right now. Most days I just come back to my dorm room after classes and lie on my bed. My mind is filled with thoughts of just giving up and going home. Loneliness is my worst enemy, but he's also my most constant companion. I can't understand why God isn't, is doing this to me. God, where are you in all of this? Why are you so quiet? Can't you hear me? Can't you see me? Don't you know that I'm falling away? And yet you continue to remain silent. I'm so confused. I'm so frustrated. I'm so discouraged. And I can feel myself becoming more and more bitter and hopeless with each passing day. That's where I got, that's where I was, and that's where all of a sudden I started feeling like God had just given up on me, that, that, that God was no longer present in my life. And I think for a lot of us, there are these times where we wonder where God is. This is all happening around you. God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And so when that happens, how can you be sure that God is not finished with us yet? That's what I want to talk with you about here this afternoon. We've been doing this series around here that we're calling... Um, life in the spirit. And what we're doing is that we're going through the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11, the apostle Paul, he's dealing with this question of why the vast majority of the Jewish people had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And he's wrestling with these questions in chapter 9 and 10 and 11. But it's interesting, by looking at Israel's unbelief, we're actually to see for ourselves some action points that I think we can take when you find yourself in the positions where you're wondering where God is and whether or not he's given up on you. Look at this here together in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1. You can follow on the screens or in your own Bible here. Verse 1, it says, I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. As this is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. And as much as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. 
You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if you do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness against away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on my account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy on you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given, given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So that's Romans chapter 11. And here, Paul's talking about these, this, this, the issue between the church and, and, and the, um, the, the nation of Israel. But I want you to notice the action points that I think we can apply here for ourselves, especially when you have these times where you begin to think that God has given up on you. Because the first action point, number one, is look. Look. First, again, verse 1, it says, I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. And so the question that Apostle Paul is asking here is, has God rejected the nation of Israel? And immediately he responds by saying, not on your life. That's not what's going on here is what Paul's talking about here. And the proof that he gives is the fact that he himself is Jewish. Again, verse 1, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And so the fact that, that Paul, the Israelite, is also Paul the Christian, it leads him to conclude here in verse 2, God has not rejected his people. Now that phrase, God has not rejected his people, actually comes from an Old Testament passage in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Samuel, he's giving his farewell speech right before he dies. And he's giving that speech to the nation of Israel. And in that speech, Samuel recalls all of the sins and the, the disobedience that the nation of Israel has done. But then he concludes, Samuel concludes, that in spite of Israel's fail, failure, God will not reject Israel. 1 Samuel 12 verse 22, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. 
Now look at, no, look at what Samuel's talking about here in terms of how God accepts us. Because he's noting here that the reason why God remains faithful is because of who he is. He's not faithful because of what you do or what you don't do. God's faithful because of who he is. And so the Apostle, point, Apostle Paul, he's making the point that in spite of Israel's failure um, to accept Jesus as the Messiah, God will still remain faithful to Israel in spite of their rejection of Jesus. And then Apostle Paul says this in verse 2, says, whom God foreknew. See, Israel's Israel's failure did not take God by surprise. It's not like God woke up and said, what, what in the world? What, what's happening here? I put all my stock in you Jewish people here. You were the ones that I was demonstrating my love and my life to this world. And now you've rejected your Savior? Now you've rejected the answer here? What's, it's, it's not like God, it, this took God by surprise. And you know what? The same is true for your life. What you're going through is not taking God by surprise. Whether it's the joy of life or whether it's that dark cloud of where God, where are, it's not taking God by surprise. He knows and he understands what it is that you are going through. And so here's where we find our first action point because when you're tempted to think that God has given up on you, you need to look for God in the small things. You need to look for God in the small things. This is really important to understand because when you, when you step into these places that seem to be dark and they, you can't figure out what's going on, you can't find God in it, you need to be able to understand and look for God in the small things because the reality is those big things are clouding you. Those big things are overwhelming you. Those big things, whether it's financial difficulty or job where you lose your job or relationship difficulties, those big things have a tendency to keep us from being able to see the small things. And it's those big things that become overwhelming. They become, that's the things, well, I need this to change. I need an answer here. And so we lose in perspective because of these big things happening to us. And so for the Apostle Paul here, the big thing here was that the vast majority of the Jewish people had rejected Jesus. And that big thing would have been easy for him to overlook the small thing, namely that he himself, a Jewish man, had accepted Jesus. And so this, this, that big thing that just felt like it was impossible, there's no answer here, he could have missed that small thing that Jesus was actually doing something inside of him. And it's often these small things that we're able to see God work in the most. Let me just put it in kind of in a natural context. This happened a bunch of years ago, but I remember um, a bunch of years ago, the bank J.P. Morgan forgot to renew their um, payment on their domain site. And so for six weeks, their website was down and they re- their emails were down. And so a $21 billion company forgot to pay a $35 renewal fee. And as a result, it cost them millions and millions and millions of dollars being offline for six weeks. Small things do matter, folks. Small things make great impact in our, in our life. And I think we, we miss... We miss out on so much when we don't look for the small things. I know for me, 30 years ago, when I sat in my dorm just staring at my walls, I couldn't see any evidence that God was working. I was so frustrated. I couldn't find God. God, why why is this happening? Why aren't these big things changing in my life? And so everything inside of me felt like God had given up on me. 
Everything inside of me felt like God was nowhere near, that I'm all by myself. And yet, there were still some small things that kept being drawn to. Now, I have to be honest with you, I didn't want to go there because I wanted these big things to change. But I know, especially now in, in, in retrospect, that there were some small things that God was trying to get my attention to. And there was two scriptures, one of which is the one here in your notes, Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 31, that God kept bringing up in my, my memory. This one says, but, it, it, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul... When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Now notice it says, look for him. Look for him with all your heart, with all your soul. I want to tell you, that from me, that's not what I wanted to hear. Because I just wanted to feel better. I wanted these big things to change. God, why don't you change this? Why don't you do this? This is the thing that's crowding you out. I, I'm convinced of it. God, change this. I don't like how I feel. And so this idea of having to look for him, to search for him more, to search for him with all my heart, with all my soul, that was the last thing that I wanted to hear. And I know now this is one of the reasons that I actually perpetuated this dark period in my life. I don't think it was ever supposed to last this long, but I perpetuated it because I refused to look for God in the small things. Please learn from my mistake. Look for God in the small things. I understand those big things you're going through right now are overwhelming, and they're actually distracting for you, and they'll cause you to feel like God's nowhere. Nothing's changing. That's, nothing's happening here. But I'm telling you something. If you look for him in the small things, things will start shifting little by little in your heart because you'll begin to realize God hasn't rejected you. He's still working in these small things. You'll begin to realize when you're out there by yourself, and just like God didn't reject the nation of Israel, God hasn't rejected you. And so if you're wondering if God is finished with you, it's time for you to look for God in the small things. That's number one. And then the second action that we need to take when we think that God has given up on us is number two, remember. Remember. Look again, verse two. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel, Lord, they've killed their prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And so what the Apostle Paul does... From his own personal experience, he reminds himself, so Paul's reminding himself of the ancient prophet by the name of Elijah. And in the book of 1 Kings, there is this king by the name of Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel, who issues these verdicts and the change of laws to cause people to shift from worshiping the one true God to worshiping this idol named Baal. And so it looks like all of Israel has turned from God and now are worshiping this false God. And so Elijah, he feels all alone. And to top it off, Queen Jezebel issues a bounty on his head. And you think you have it rough. 
You think what you're going through is difficult. He has this bounty on him that people are, are trying to murder him, to kill him, to, to track him down. And so Elijah runs for his life. Now, if you know anything about Elijah, he's one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. There's all these miracles and signs and wonders that he experiences. And just right before this, all this incredible miracle happens where God comes and visits and burns the sacrifice. And all these priests of Baal are are destroyed. And there's just this miraculous thing. So here's this great man of power and faith running for his life. He's running for his life. And so he runs into the desert. He gets in the hides inside this cave. And he cries out to God, asking God to kill him. This is where your faith can go when these big things start crowding in on you. And you stop looking for God even in the small things. This is what was going on with Elijah. And Elijah's words in 1 Kings 19 are are spoken here in Romans chapter 11, verse 3. Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And so Elijah felt like what we're talking about here. Elijah felt like God had given up on him. Elijah felt like God had given up on the nation of Israel. And that's exactly how Paul himself was feeling. He was feeling all alone, isolated, all alone. But what Paul does is he begins to remind himself of what God did with Elijah. Verse 4. God said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so what Paul does is he reminds himself what God did with Elijah from the nation of Israel back then. And so even though Elijah felt, um, uh, even though Apostle Paul felt alone in his devotion to Jesus, he remembered what God had spoken to Elijah, that God had reserved this remnant of people who were still devoted to God. And so Paul's conclusion was, God did it back then, and he's still doing it now. God still, there's still a remnant of Jewish people have said, who have said yes to Jesus. Verse 5. So two, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And so it's here that we see the second action point that we can take. Because when you're tempted to think that God has given up on you, you need to remember you don't see everything that God is doing behind the scenes. We don't get to see it all. And so you got to remember that what's happening in your life, you can't see all the big picture. You can't see what's going on behind the screen because God's work is often hidden from our view. You're going to have to settle it. You're not always going to see and hear and understand what it is that God is doing in your life and around you. But the reality is he is at work. He is at work behind the scene of your life and what he is doing. He's at work in, in what we call coincidences and, and, and chance encounters. Um, did you know that in the Bible, that there's one book in the Bible that never mentions God? It's interesting because 66 books in your Bible, this Bible that's all about God and God's interaction with us, there's one book that never mentions God. Did you know that? Do you know what it is? It's the book of Esther. Now, for those of you who've read the book of Esther, you're probably surprised by that. Why? Because everywhere, when you read the book of Esther, you see God everywhere, right? You see him working behind the scenes in things like beauty contests and chance encounters and, and overheard conversations and interaction with other, other people, a king who has insomnia. You see God working in all these different people's lives. Why? Because he is at work in our lives. 
The hand of God is at work in every detail of our lives. And the same as it was with Esther, same as it was with Elijah, same as it was with Paul, the same is true for you and me. God is actively at work in your life. You may not always be able to see it. You may not always be able to understand it. You may not always hear him, but he is at work in every detail of your life. On the surface, in this moment that you're going through, you may not be able to see it. You may not be able to understand exactly what's happening right here in this moment, but you will. And if you'll just step back and look at how God has worked in your past, something will start stirring up inside of you. And one day you'll be able to look in this moment and begin to understand what it was that God was doing because he is actively involved in every detail of your life. I know for me, it's like sat in my dorm room staring at those walls. I had to remind myself that God was working in ways that I couldn't see. And here's the thing, and this was so shocking to me. God didn't consult me about what he was doing. I don't know if that messes you up, but it messed me up. He didn't consult me about what he was doing in my life. I didn't ask for it. I didn't, I didn't pray about it. But the thing that he was doing inside of me, he was just doing he was, he was dealing with stuff inside of, of my life. And so I had to remind myself that even though I couldn't feel God in the moment, even though I couldn't see anything that God was doing, I had to remind myself that God was at work behind the scenes. Psalms 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with a multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now look what the psalmist is doing. He's in this dark place. Why are you so downcast? Oh, what's going on? Why are you so despondent here? Put your hope back in God. He says, I remember. I remember when God did this. I remember when God answered this. I remember when God worked in these types of ways. This, this is our action point for every single one. We need to remind ourselves what God has done in our past. And for me, at that time, I couldn't understand what was going on in my life. It was so dark, and I wanted these big things to change in my life, and they weren't changing. And so that's why it got me to this point of not just disillusionment, not just despondency, but hopelessness, where I finally just, I, I got to this point of hopelessness because nothing was changing. Nothing was changing inside of me. Nothing was changing around inside of me. So God, you must have given up on me. I now can look back and understand something that I could not understand in that moment. Because I did not know what God was doing behind the scenes. But what God was doing, and I didn't know it at the time, but God was dealing with some junk that had built up inside of my heart and my mind over time. And I look back and I think, you know, I think I, I became a lot like Job in the Old Testament when Job makes this conclusion at the end of, of his book where he goes, where he makes this, this, has this revelation of realization that he had all these opinions about God but he had never really experienced God. And that's what had begun to happen inside of me. Being in the church, you can develop a lot of opinions. And I had all these things that I thought God needed to do this, and this is what was supposed to happen. And, I had, and it developed into just religion, folks, do's and don'ts. 
and it was creating so much death in me, but I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was creating death in me, but God did it. And here's the thing you need to be able to understand. God sees where this path is going to take, and he knows if this path that you're on continues, where the destruction will take place. And so he intervenes, and he intersects in our life, and he begins to work behind the scenes. And the reason why it was so painful is because there were things God was working out of me. I know now he's working out that junk. I didn't know in the moment. This was my journal entry and then in January 1990. This is what I wrote. I'm sitting here in amazement and wonder at the love of God. His love for his children is so great, yet it has taken me a long time to recognize this. I've always known it, but I guess I had never really experienced it for myself. I had gone to church earlier today, not because I wanted to, but because I'm with my parents and that's just what we do. But something happened today. I think I finally came to the end of myself because during the worship service, I finally told God that I give up. I no longer have any hope that things will change. And in an instant, something miraculous happened. I saw this vision. It was a vision of a little boy. He was crying and obviously hurting. He began to run and then he came to what looked like a wall. Then with frustration, he began to pound his fist against that wall he continued to do this, and despair and discouragement mounted. Then I saw the picture grow larger. It was as if the camera lens had zoomed out, because it was then that I saw that the wall was not a wall at all, but it was the chest of God. From the boy's perspective, he still didn't know this and continued to beat his fist against what he thought was a wall, but in reality, it was the chest of God. Finally, God slowly began to move his arms around the boy until finally the boy was pushed against the chest of God, no longer able to thrust his arms about. It was then that he looked up and saw the face of God and realized that he was in the arms of God. In an instant, I understood everything that had happened to me in the last year, and in that instant, a divine exchange took place. All the bitterness and frustration, despair, and disillusionment, hopelessness, and pain was released. And God flooded me with joy and love and peace and an overwhelming desire to be with him. And what was Job's conclusion in his life now became a living beacon in my life as well. Job 42 says, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes. I admit it. I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me and made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. This, this, what happened is this, this whole, this year of desperation and loss and, and hopelessness all of a sudden broke as I experienced then the love of God for myself. And up that point, I think I had this cerebral understanding of God's love. I know John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believed in shall not perish. I, I know up here that God loves us. I know that God loves me, but I'd never experienced for myself. And may I suggest to you here today, there's a huge difference between knowing something and experiencing something. You may know that God exists. You may know that he loves you in some sort of way, but it doesn't transform you until you experience it. Right. 
And this is exactly what was going on inside of me. And as a result of finally coming to that place where I experienced God for myself, now all of a sudden it put this trust inside of me. Because where at one moment I was thinking, God, where are you in all this? You're not doing something here. Now all of a sudden God reached down and intervened in my life and it built up this incredible trust in me. Because now I know I have another thing to remember. I have something to look, look at. And I, know, and, I, and I know for me that when I encounter new situations where you don't understand, you always will, Right? Things don't always work out the way you think. When I come to those places now, I can book back and remember what God has done. And I have this incredible trust where I can remind myself of what God has done in my life. And I can put my trust in him because you know what? I've encountered him. I've met him and I know who he is. And that compels me then to move forward. See, often God works in ways that we don't see and we don't understand. And that's why it's so important for us to remember. And then here's the third action that we can take when we think that God has given up on us. And that's number three, to trust. To trust. Verse 7 says, What then, what Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they could not see, and ears so they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. And so here in these verses, Apostle Paul, he's talking about two communities. He's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the big C church, the Christian church here. And Apostle Paul, he's making this point that since the nation of Israel, for the most part, has rejected Jesus, God chose to work through another community, and that is the Christian church. But even though God is doing that, he says, make no mistake, God still hasn't rejected Israel. In spite of their action, God still hasn't rejected him, rejected them. He's only sidelined them for a bit. I want you to think about this just kind of in a natural way. Any of you baseball fans out there? Baseball fans, okay? So think about a superstar, a superstar baseball player who's struggling at the plate. And so what the manager does is he benches him and then puts that rookie up in his spot. Um, that superstar, he's still on the team. He's still a part of the team. He's just not starting right now. And so that's what a lot like what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And the reason why the Apostle Paul says that Israel's been benched is in verse 25. And now I want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so God's using the hardening of the nation of Israel as an opportunity for the church, the big thing church, to prosper, to expand, and to grow into all the world. And so going back to that baseball analogy, while that superstar baseball player is being benched, that rookie is able to step up and has the opportunity now to grow in that, that person's role, to develop as a player. And that's what Paul's talking about here. God's using the lack of faith that Israel has in Jesus as the Messiah to build and expand the big seed church all across the world. And it's here where we find the third action point, because when we think we're being tempted, where, we, where God is not there in, in our life, you need to, number one, trust God to use every aspect of your life in a positive way. Trust Him. Trust God to use every aspect of your life in a positive way. For the Israelites, even in their unbelief, God was using Israel in a positive way in the lives of non-Jewish people. 
And so here's my question for you here this afternoon. Can you trust God to use every aspect of what's going on in your life in a positive way? Can you trust God to actually use every aspect of your life in a positive way? Because I think often the very things we wish we didn't have in life are the very things God will use to accomplish his plan and purpose in your life. Let me say it again in case you missed it. Very often, those things that we wish were not a part of our life are the very things God will use to accomplish his purpose in your life. Any of you remember a guy by the name of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph's purpose and destiny was to be the one who would save his family and millions upon millions upon millions of people from a famine that was going to hit the Middle East. But think about this. Joseph would have never been in a position to save millions of people's lives as second in command of Egypt if he had never met Pharaoh's butler and baker. But Joseph would have never met Pharaoh's butler and baker if he had never been in prison. But Joseph would have never been in prison if he had never been falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife. But Joseph would have never been falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife if he had never been put into a pit and sold into Egyptian slavery by his jealous brothers. And Joseph would have never been put into a pit and sold into Egyptian slavery if his father had never given him a coat of many colors. Let me say it again. Often, Those things in our life that we wish were not there are the very things God will use to accomplish his plan and purpose for your life. Did you hear me? That pit, slavery, those chains of slavery, those false accusations, that prison for Joseph that looked like it was going to be into his life. God used every single one of them to get him into a place to be able to fulfill his purpose and his destiny. Often, the very things we wish were not a part of our life are the very things God will use to get you into a position to fulfill his purpose and destiny for your life. And you know what? That even includes your failures. Oh, what a God we have that can take our failures and redeem them and actually do something incredible with them. This is who God is. And so can you trust him? Can you trust him to take every aspect of your life and do something positive with him? When I look back now on that year of my life that was full of incredible pain and regret, here's what I know. And I knew this the day after I had that experience. As miserable and as horrible and as horrific as that was, as lost and dark as that was, I would do it again because of what it produced inside of me. That very thing that I hated that was causing so much destruction in me actually caused so much life inside of me. I've told this to Courtney many, many times. She wouldn't have wanted to be married to that guy before that experience. And I know I'm not the pastor that I am today without that experience. 
This is what God can do with our lives. So can you trust God to use every aspect of your life for something positive? If he can do it with the nation of Israel, he can do it with you. If he can do it for me, he can do it with you. Look at this in Lamentations 3, verse 19. It says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how I well, I remember the feeling of hitting bottom. That's exactly how I feel. This, I could have written that statement right there. But there's one other thing I remember. And remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. Verse 26. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're, when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. And I want you to hear that this afternoon. Whatever you're going through, God will never give up on you. Don't ever forget that. He's not finished with you. So be patient. Be patient. Look for him in the small things. Remember, remind yourself of what he's done in the past. And then put your trust in him. You can trust him. If you would, I want you to close your eyes. Because I don't want you to think about anybody else here this afternoon. I want you to let just the Holy Spirit work on your own heart here today. Because for you... It may be that you're feeling far away from God. You may be feeling that God has given up on you. You may be feeling that God's not working in your life. You may be feeling that you're all alone, that nothing is changing, that God's not answering your prayers, that things aren't getting worse. They're getting worse and they're, they're not getting better. That may be exactly how you feel. And I'm telling you, I know exactly how that feels as well. And so did Job. And so did Abraham. And so did Joseph. And so did Moses. And so did Elijah. And so did Esther. And so did David. And so did Paul. And so does Jesus. God has not given up on you. God is not finished with you, which means if you can't see what God is doing, it just means that God's not done yet. He's still working. If you can't see what he's doing right now in this moment in your life, it just means he's not done yet. He's still working. He's still working on you, and he's still working in the situations that you're facing. And so instead of fighting against God, instead of resisting God, instead of pushing God away, would you hear Right here in this moment, would you just let go? Would you put your life and what you're facing into his hands? God, here today, we look to you. In the midst of maybe seemingly impossible and hopeless situations, God, we look to you. You said you even hear our sighs. When we don't know how to pray, when we feel like we can't pray, 
you even hear our sighs. And you hear our sighs and you come to our rescue. Father, I pray for every man and every woman, every young person here that may feel just stuck where they can't find you, where they can't see what's going on behind the scenes and they feel like that you've given up on them. Lord, I pray for every single one here that, God, that you would come even in this moment. Lord, that you would grab a hold of them. God, that you would pull them tight to your chest so they can not just know about you, but God, that they would experience because they would experience how great is your love and that you're faithful, that you're faithful even when they're faithless, that you're not going to let them go, that you're right there, you're walking with them, you're even carrying them through some of this. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and, Father, that your presence would begin to stir inside of us and you would take the damage and the hurt the defilement and the pain, and that, God, that there would be an exchange that would even take place here today. We're going to respond in worship here. Something I like to do in terms of how we do services is that we don't end on a message, but we end with really our attention and our focus being on God and let him begin to stir, stir with us. And so I want to encourage you as, as we do this, as the worship team leads us in this to respond and to, to rush and to rush forward in, in your approach and your heart with God and not resist and, and just push him back, but actually run it to him here today. We have communion set up as, as part of your worship experience as well. You don't have to be a member here of this church to take communion. I invite you to be a part of this. Jesus is the one who sets this table and I invite you to have this as part of your worship as well. Um, our our prayer teams will be up here on the sides. And, and like I said, a lot of times we just don't know how to pray. Let somebody else pray over you. Let them release life inside. Let the presence of God just come over you. And so these men and women will be on the sides to pray with you as well. Come on, stand to your feet and let's worship here together. While we were worshiping at the beginning of the service, I was seeing the, um, many in the room trying to see the Lord just to encounter him. And it was as if there was this confusion and it felt like a wall. And then I just continued to worship and I, and I saw the Lord huge in the room and he was reaching down with this very, very, very large hand and putting it on top of the heads of different, different people. And um, so I, I just since now and I want to give invitation that if that's you that identifies with what Russ was sharing about just feeling at that place of a wall that you might come at, come forward and let the prayer ministry let the people in the prayer team it would be our great delight to be the hands and feet of Jesus and just lay a hand on you and partner with you in that place where you feel and just agree that he really is reaching out to touch you, even when you don't see it and feel it. And so I just want to bring that invitation in the next few moments. If you'd like, we would love to pray for you.
Father, we're so incredibly grateful for how you meet us right where we are and how you intersect in our life and how you even interrupt our life and that you are working behind the scenes, even things that we can't understand or know, but that you are there, that you're working in every detail of our life. And so it's today, God, we make a decision to put our trust in you. We decide to trust you, God. And we look and we remember what you've done in our past and what you've done in the saints who've gone before us to remember your faithfulness and that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And so you can't do something different in the past and now do something different right now that we look and we remind ourselves of your faithfulness. And we look for you in, even in the small things. Lord, we want to search for you. Lord, we want to look for you as if we're looking for a buried treasure that will go deeper, that will go further with you. And so, Father, I pray specifically for every person who feels lost, who feels in a dark place, who feels disillusioned and even hopeless, where they can't figure out what's going on. Lord, I pray specifically for them, God, that you would draw them close to yourself so tightly that worry and fear, anxiousness would not be able to get in between. That all the, the cares of this world, all the decisions they need to make would not get in between. That the devil himself would not be able to get in between you and them. God, you, would you bring them so close to you, Lord, that they would be able to be surrounded and engulfed in your presence and in your love, in your peace, and in your joy. And then, Lord, I pray you give them eyes to see. Lord, they could see what's going on behind the scenes. Lord, they'd be able to see and understand what it is that you're doing. And so, Father, I release your spirit of counsel into their lives. I release your spirit of wisdom into them. I release your spirit of knowledge. And, Lord, I release your spirit of revelation to awaken them so that they can see and hear and know and understand the greatness of your love for them and the plans and purposes that you have for them, that while they're in the pit, Lord, they would still have purpose. While they're being accused, they would still have purpose. While they feel like they've been lost in those prisons and those chains, they would have purpose. Lord, you would raise their eyes to see above and beyond what's going on in the natural, and they'd be able to see it beyond this moment. Lord, I release your spirit of revelation to activate that in their heart. And Lord, I release your blessing on them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.